it's really a sad thing that as farmers or uh, landscape managers that we haven't seen this because it has held us back. Had we have seen this on settlement, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in the in the dire circumstances we're in now because we would have changed the way we operated instead of going in and and trashing everything we would have thought differently i think we would have thought differently about how we approached it i mean yeah we could be in a massive abundance right now instead we're not but it doesn't matter we can rebuild that mm. we can bring that back if we just have the will that was Stuart Andrews and you're listening to the regenerative journey We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to country, culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. G'day, this week's interview is with Stuart Andrews. He's the son of Peter Andrews. You may have heard of Peter Andrews um, uh, in Natural Seconds Farming fame. He was on Australian Story a number of times now. Um, uh, you know, some may call a reasonably controversial figure in the Australian landscape, literally. I'd say he's one of the geniuses of the Australian landscape, being able to um, bring it to life quite literally with his courses and his understanding and his his reverence for the landscape. And that's exactly what Stuart Andrews is doing uh, with his training, Natural Seconds Farming training via Tarwin, um, Tarwin Park Training. I had the pleasure of uh, having Stuart uh, here for four days doing his training at Hannah Minow and uh, on... <laughs> After the course had finished, the next morning I grabbed him for an interview, which was fascinating because I got to got to know him really well in those four days and and, and through the training, but just personally, and I knew this was going to be a cracking uh, interview, and he did not disappoint at all. Could talk the leg off a table, um, <laughs> Stuart, but everything that comes out of his mouth is absolute gold, and uh, I'm really excited to be releasing this interview with uh, Stuart Andrews, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Stuart Andrews. Morning, Charlie. Welcome to uh, the regenerative journey, but more importantly, welcome to our guest bedroom. Yeah, I feel great (laughs) being in here. I'm glad I'm in the chair, though. (laughs) We are sitting in chairs, and we're looking out over our dam, or some people call it a lake, and we're here... It does sound a little bit echoey, but it's, I think it's not a bad spot. Uh, it's not the worst spot I've had to interview anyone. Um, I'm interested to know, because we're looking at landscape, and you've been here, we've just done four days of your natural sequence farming um, course, and in that uh, we learned many, many things, and certainly my my the lens with which I look at landscape has been totally changed. I have to say, which is no doubt one of the outcomes you're looking for for your attendees. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're sitting here looking at some some bit of a landscape. We, we can't see a huge amount. We can see a dam. We can see some of our paddocks. We can see plenty of trees. So that's why we're sitting here, to be inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, and our viewers there on the machine, 
just see can just see the back of the guest room. Yep. <laughs> be thrilled. <laughs> so we have to. So, Stuart, what I'm interested in before we get into your regenerative journey, as the name of the podcast suggests, it's about digging into um, you know your life um, and and identifying some points at which you know you could say your your journey um, there, there were a fork in the road. Or, or a, a catalyst for change or a tension event or something that sort of speed you in another direction because I just think that's, 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 that's going to be interesting. So tell me, what, when you look at a landscape, before we get to your story, what's the story of that landscape out there? What, 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 when you look at it, what are you seeing? Well, when you – with the new trained eyes that, that one I have that I learnt through PA, Peter Andrews, my dad – and that I try to instill in all of the people that do our course is to look at what we refer to as a an old dinosaur skeleton. So Australia is a very old continent and it's very much like a, a dishevelled dinosaur skeleton. And so all we can really see are bits and pieces out there of how it used to used to operate and what we're trying to do is to piece that back together again. So we use very subtle engineering and plants and so forth to try and reconnect the dinosaur skeleton so that it works as one again. We can never rebuild it to back back to what it was, but we can regain the function that it once had. And what are you what what parts of the dinosaur are you, are you seeing out there as it were? Well, I can see I can see a foot and I can see a head and that's about it because most of the in between parts of have been removed over time. And so, you know, we go out there and we particularly look at ridges, we look for steps, the ridges or the headlands that are the major features that poke out that everybody sees. You can see ridges no matter where you go, but you don't realise that they're a link to the rest of the landscape and they're a key component to what goes on in the lower part of the landscape. So those ridges once were joined to the gullies they're no longer because the gully has mm. been incised, cut through, and so that linkage is gone. And so what we're looking at doing is relinking those back together. So we link the ridge line to the other ridge line to the gully, and all of a sudden the landscape comes back to life. And you see the dinosaur. You see the dinosaur. Yeah. Which is a great way to put it, I think, because you know we're all um, archaeologists. We are. Sorts, aren't we? Oh, I, think, yeah. I don't know as many kids that didn't want to be an, be an archaeologist when they grew up. Um, and I think it's a fascinating way to put it that, that, and again, you know, my eyes are totally different now, being able to identify those things. And I was just talking to Jim last night about it, you know, driving around. It's like, oh, yeah. That's it. Oh, now, if, if you did that, and then that went there. And I've been, you know, for those who don't know, I've lived here forever, it was, you know, from day dot. Well, not lived here all the time, but certainly have been familiar with the landscape for all those years and know every strainer post, every paddock, every fence, and I knew every gully and I knew every flat bit and not flat bit and every, you know, change of slope. But now I understand so much better why that was there, you know, part little those little, you know, um, secondary flow lines and things. Now I know what they are. Mm. Before I just thought, oh, that's just a flat bit next to the creek. It's really a sad thing that as farmers or uh, landscape managers that we haven't seen this because it has held us back. Had we have seen this on settlement, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in the in the dire circumstances we're in now because we would have changed the way we operated 
instead of going in and, and trashing everything, we would have thought differently, I think. We would have thought differently about how we approached it. I mean, yeah, we could be in a massive abundance right now. Instead, we're not. But it doesn't matter. We can rebuild that. Mm. We can bring that back if we just have the will. And that's, the, yeah. and, and that's the point of our course. It's just about delivering some simple components for people to be able to take home and use for themselves so they can start that process and then they become the educators for their neighbours to show them what can be done. It, really, that's the only way it can happen. But if we just continue to operate, everyone continues to operate the same way, then we're going to continue down the slope that we've been going on for the last 200-odd years. I don't think anyone could argue that we're not sliding down the slope. No. Quickly, you know, there, there there are some breaks that are being applied here and there, you know, with with your training and I guess what we do and some other practices that are helping slow the decline and hopefully, you know, at some point turn it around somewhat in 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 places it's been practiced. Um, but generally, we're sort of slipping, I think, aren't we? Oh, I think we're more than slipping. I think we're we're on a big slide and it, and it's ever ever gaining pace. That's the problem when. You know, when we started on a slippery slope, which was probably 200 years ago, now we're, the, st- the slope is getting steeper and steeper and we're slipping faster and faster and, you know, starting to see species disappear and all that sort of stuff. It's really very frightening. Um, and in, unless we actually get the landscape functioning again, we can never get that back. E- yeah. even, if, even if people don't, you know, completely convert from what we would call conventional farming practices today – at least if they start to put back the function into the landscape, it's got half a chance of holding together until they maybe see, you know, whether they want to introduce a, a rotational grazing system or biodynamics or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, in the interim, at least if they start to help the landscape function again, it, it's going to slow down that, that slide. Mm. And, yeah, I just, you know, PA has been so frustrated for the last 40 years trying to get this message across, but... It has a little bit to do with the delivery, you know. If you if you can get it into the into language that the average person can understand, it makes a big difference. And I guess that's our role in the training program, is to deliver that his message and what he sees out. And I mean, he will say it's just the Australian landscape. We it's not his idea. None of it's his idea. Mm. It's all just the Australian landscape. So that's the thing that I find so powerful is that this was there all the time. This is how this landscape mm. built. And all we're doing is going out there and saying, okay, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Landscape, exactly what have you got to tell us? And then mm. we, we ask it the question and then we help. All we do is help put it back together. That's all. It's, yeah, it's very powerful. And when people grab it and, and they start doing things, they see how powerful it is and how very small things make a huge difference. It's a good example of, um, you know, the, the, the thing I've been on about is asking better questions. You know, as farmers, I mean, I didn't even ask myself why was that, you know, flat bit or you actually went, you know, why does that gully seem? I didn't even really see that it was higher than the than the secondary sort of flight. You know, that didn't even occur to me. I wasn't mm. even – didn't know the questions to ask to find the answers that led me to a certain spot. You know, you need a bit of direction, a bit of a bit of understanding and what you've done is sowing seeds, or more than sowing seeds really, for asking those better questions. And then, as you say, you know, asking the landscape – you know, via those questions like, what, okay, what do you need? What do I need to do to get you back to where you were? You won't be back exactly, but what are the, some of the um, 
the practices, you know, the interventions, as it were, to recreate the the system as best one can, you know, two hundred and thirty years down the track, um, with the with the machinery we have, with the, with the, with the wisdom we have, and you know, just allow that that the functionality, you know, it's a different function. Well, it's the same function, but just. 230 years down the track, trying to mend, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because people, you know, sometimes I look at landscapes and think, well, how could you possibly fix that? Well, just remember, this continent has been through ice ages where vegetation was completely lost, erosion was massive, and it rebuilt. Mm. That's the point. This landscape can rebuild from anything. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how bad it is. We can rebuild it. It doesn't mean we want to let, you know, send it to ground zero before we start, mm. but it can rebuild itself. The trouble is the further we go, the harder it is and the longer it will take to recover, you know, and the more plants we have to have in the system to build it that we don't necessarily want as part of our production system, but we need them. We must have all of the plants in there because those plants are what built this landscape mm. and we need them there to rebuild it. That was one of the biggest takeaways for me was that was the weeds, mm. the weeds, you know, like wow. I mean, I, 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 on my view on weeds was was um, uh, as it was, you know, has been for many years in terms of their their benefit, but you know, the repair plants, and and, and actually, I, I was um, uh, last year, the year before, I was trying to find some some seconds from gradings from, from people, you know, getting their mustard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, their thistle, their saffron thistle, you know, from their gradings just to do that, that very thing. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm, I appreciate so much the, the again, you know, um, the lens with which I'm now looking at the landscape and, and what I'm excited about is the opportunity. Now, talking about opportunity, I want to take the opportunity to dig into your regenerative journey, going back as far as you uh, – and for those who don't know um, – Stuart's story, family story, has was been um, was aired, you know, um, uh, in two thousand and five via the Australian Story. Um, fascinating, one of the most popular Australian stories ever, um, and it was followed up in twenty eighteen with part two. So twenty eighteen. No, I think there was another one. There's been four, I think, so far. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so there's been... You haven't been, been watching, Charlie. What's going no, on? No, I know. I don't watch much TV. Yeah. Uh, clearly. <laughs> oh, clearly. All, all research. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, my point is, shush, my point is that, um, you know, you have quite um, a fascinating story and it's been, it's, it's, it's pretty well documented um, and for good reason because it is fascinating and it's it's... Um, some would say um, controversial um, in 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 many ways, um, and that's not that's not necessarily what interests me. I'm interested in you as an individual, in a situation, in a family, in an environment, in a you know um, in a life, you know, that is taking you from where you were day one, you know, to where we're sitting here now at Hanamino. You know, and that's a pretty long podcast. Mm. But um, <clears throat> so we break it down and have, you know, have a little chunks you want to do that. So let's do that. Where do you want to start? Well, we can start from, from my childhood, from when I was very young. I mean, yeah. you know, growing up with PA was no easy task. Given the choice, I probably would have chosen a different way. But, <laughs> but you, know, you know we choose our parents. Yeah, well, do we? Do we do? It's well, it's, I did a pretty crap job then. Didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole. Lot. Now, Stuart is going. He's 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 sort of committed. He's he's um 
he's he's it's too late for him to pull out to come to one of our biodynamics courses. But we do talk about that. We do talk about you know things that aren't necessarily farming. But it's a really good point. I hadn't even thought about it till you just said it. Then we you know we do choose our parents. And sometimes that choice might seem to us like the craziest thing, like why would I have ever done that? <clears throat> and generally what we do why we do that is that these are the right parents to get us into the world, to set us on a path to find our purpose, you know, as an individual, as a as a, a soul that's come down for this next round, you know. So yeah. I don't I know what that is. I mean, we, I've got a pretty good idea. But, you know, the challenges you've been through, have been for a reason. You know? No, I say that jokingly. I'm a, I'm a bit, a bit of a stirrer. <laughs> My old man is definitely a hard old bugger. But you know, had I have not grown up the way I did, and with my mum, who was the, she was the rock. I mean, he was off doing all sorts of stuff, but she was really the rock, holding everything together. And um, had I have not grown up with both of them, I wouldn't be who I am today, totally. and I wouldn't be able to do what I do out in the landscape and you know, running two farms and a training business. I mean, it, it, you have to be mildly psychotic to do what we do, <laughs> which so, you know, thankfully I grew up in a family which where that was standard practice. <laughs> well, you got to say, you're doing a bloody good job. Yeah, right. Honestly, That's no, good. Amazing job. I don't know how you do it. Well, I sort of do know because I have a bit of insight, but uh, <laughs> okay. no, I, I agree. Um, Peter was here yesterday. Yes. And I, I will say before I jump onto the journey that uh, – it, often I don't hear him say positive thing. Um, he, I guess he sneaks them out every 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 now and then. But we're driving through your paddock, and he goes, "Geez, this Charlie's got a bit of diversity out here. This is <laughs> not bad." That's cool. I'm glad I didn't hear that. Didn't hear that one. Yeah, and I, I mean, we were talking about amongst ourselves too. Just the just the insect life, the spiders, and everything you've got out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a credit to you because most places I go on are dead. You know, they've got no diversity. They've eliminated most of the plants um, simply back back to grasses predominantly and they have very little life, which is which is sad. Anyway, getting back to the journey. So um, as a kid growing up with PA, he was still learning, you know, and and he's trying to teach us and I was probably a bit of a shit, I'd have to say. Um, I'm sure he you would can, agree. You can swear too. If there's any other language you want that's going to help be helpful in expressing yourself. Yeah. You well, shit that. was uh, probably as far as I'll need to go. But, yes, I, I'm sure I was. I look back at it now and, and I see my sons and I see pieces of me in them and I think, yeah, yeah, I know. You can't knock them for that. No, no. Oh, no, no. What that's part of the yeah exactly that's that's me you know and, mm. and and if I got to blame anyone I should blame myself because <laughs> I I created that but um, <laughs> yeah anyway so he he was trying to teach us and he, his style of teaching is probably not the best uh, it's by force yeah I was gonna say how how would you describe his his teaching yeah style? by force yeah come here or come here listen to this you know and it's like. <laughs> You actually really need to bring someone along the journey with you, not force them into it. Mm. And um, yeah, he probably doesn't. He just doesn't have that style. But then, at the same time, you know, he was. I guess he was excited in some ways about the fact that he was learning. And the difficult part for me was, you know, as I got older and I was actually working in the business and I'd be out doing, you know, operating the machinery or whatever. And he'd give me instructions. So this is what we want to achieve. Well, I'd probably fight him most of the time. He'd go, no, I want to do this. And then eventually I'd actually do what he wanted. But the time I did what he wanted, he went, no, that's not right. 
And so, you know... Because he was still learning. He was because he was going, still learning, yeah. yeah. Ex- experimental. Yeah, he hadn't actually... Which was frustrating for me because I thought, well, I thought I'd actually finally done what you wanted me to do and now you're telling me it was wrong anyway. So, you know, all of that stuff is probably enough reason to to leave. But whatever it was, I don't know. I couldn't leave. You know, I, I just... You know, I, I'm just drawn to it and the universe plans everything. You know, I didn't know that back then, but... You know, I heavily believe that the universe has guided me, like you talk about choose your parents, all that sort of stuff. I haven't gone to that level, but I know I learned years ago that the universe would always guide me where I needed to go. So whenever whenever something bad happened, it always gave something good. Now, maybe that was me just looking for the better side of the bad. I don't know, but I still think, you know, where the universe just sets things up for you. So as long as you're on your right path, if you're doing the right thing, then things just happen for you. So anyway, that was, that was I guess, my younger life. And then going in as a teenager, um, yeah, things got a little... And, and where, were you, where were you situated? Like where, we where were, were you living? We were at Bylong, in the Bylong Valley at yeah. Tower Park, the, yeah. the home of natural sequence farming. And... Um, yeah, so I, although I worked on a couple of properties down the road, I was doing 30 hours a week. Most of the time I'd knock out those 30 hours in two days so I could be back at Tarwan Park. But I had to do that because the PA, I wasn't getting paid. This uh, is after school? Yeah, after school. I left school. I was still 15 when I left school. I left in uh, at the end of year 10. I yes. hate, hated school. I um, Local school? I went to Scots at Bathurst for oh, yeah. a couple of years, which I hated. It was like a prison. Uh, interestingly enough, I ended end up sending both my boys there. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, but that was their choice. I, I didn't make that choice for them. They but actually that's, that's that's commendable. Yeah, you know, they actually asked because you could have gone. Oh no, bloody no, Indian, it's crap. I'm not gonna. Yeah, no, no, they they, they they go with it. They, well, Hamish asked. Hamish is our oldest boy. He actually asked to go there. We said, well, these these are your options. You've got Mudgee High School or Candles High School. He said, oh, I want to go went, where you went to school. I went, yeah, okay. Well, I've told you all the things that happened with me when I was there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was a bit of a bugger. I left. I walked. I walked home. I walked 160Ks um, to get home from school. I, I hated it. That, well, it wasn't that I, I guess it wasn't that I hated the school so much. I just loved the farm. I was just mm. dr- drawn to the farm all the time. I just wanted to be there so much. I, I, I think when I was about 10, I wanted to be a truck driver. I had all the truck and knife posters on the wall. <laughs> Um, but but then after that, I decided. Well, I think I want to be a farmer. Yeah. yeah, and I settled on that, and I seemed to be stuck there. I'm glad I wasn't a truck driver. I wouldn't have made <laughs> a good reckon. one. I don't think I, I couldn't. I, I do like driving, but I don't think I could be in a truck every day of the week. Those guys work very hard, long hours. But anyway, um, yeah. So as a teenager growing up, I left school and went straight onto the farm full time. And yeah, I mean that that was quite a bit of fun. I had a few mates around, and you know we'd go shooting and doing getting up a bit of mischief. Mm. And then when I was nineteen, I went back to playing rugby, which I'd played when I was at school, and and that was a you know that was a bit of a pressure relief, I suppose, having to having to grow up with PA and be on the property. The rugby was was my my out outlet. I played for Mary War for quite a few years, and then I went and played for Mudgee, and. Um, yeah, you, dare I say there was a there was a considerable consumption of of some brown liquor at the uh, at the at the end of every Saturday, um, but it was all responsible. Everybody it was no, all I, very, very responsible. I don't doubt that. Yeah, me. no, no, I don't. I'm sure that's what it was. If I could remember, um, 
<laughs> anyway, so that, they were, that was my outlet, I guess. And but the rest of the time, I just worked. You know, I, I was on. I would work for sixteen hours a day, every day. You know, I just loved it. Mm. Um, I don't know whether I was always being constructive. I thought I was, but anyway, I just did what I did. And, um, and that was a lot of it under direction of Peter, like as in as in what y- earth y- moving stuff. I guess there was. Stock to feed. And oh, to yeah, you. yes, no, yeah, all. It's, yes, some of it was under his direction. Some of it I just took off my own bat. I, mm. I was probably not being helpful. I don't know, but I thought I was. I thought I was doing everything. I mean, I love driving the tractors. So I predominantly I was slashing. You know, I spent hours and hours and hours slashing down all of the weeds, all the weeds on the place. You know, for the purpose of because you didn't want them, or you went no. moving fertility. Oh well, let's see. He'll tell a story. He'll say, oh. He blamed me for all the weeds, um, which, funnily enough, he actually thinks is good. So I've done one good thing, and that was to spread weeds everywhere. Um, yeah, he said, oh, you know, I because I was too lazy to get off the and clean the machine down between paddocks, I'd cart the seed from one paddock to the next. I don't think it was really me, but anyway, mm. that's okay. It's a nice story. Mm. Um, but either way, that's what I was slashing just to mulch these plants down. It wasn't to get rid of them. It was just, you know, he, he was in early stages, and he believed that that – um, the seed, they, we shouldn't be letting these plants go to seed because we'll be spreading the seeds around. Um, we don't worry about that anymore. That's all part of it. You know, mm. seeds only grow as a result of the landscape we create. You can have as many seeds out there as you like. I mean, farmers know that all the time. They go and sow seeds and they don't grow. And instead of asking why didn't it grow, they go, oh, it was the weather. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It was the conditions not enough, right for it. Not enough, not enough MAP. Yeah, well, no, that's right. Not <laughs> enough. But no, well, not even that. That can't even that can't even cause the seed to germinate. Mm. It's the conditions that are in the soil at the time. Whatever energy is going on, doesn't. I don't know what it is. I don't know the answer. But whatever it is that makes that seed germinate, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. It ain't going to germinate. It's going to sit there for however long until the conditions are right, and then it'll go. That's if it doesn't get taken away by an ant or something. Anyway, so um, yeah, I'm out there doing all of this slashing, and and yeah, I think I'm doing a good job. We're oh, carting hay. God, God, I carted a lot of hay. We had this massive machine, this stack and mover, which built an eight ton bale, and I used to have to get in the back of it. You know, when I'd get it three quarters full, it'd it'd pick the hay up, chop it, and throw it in the back, and you're yeah, moving it around to stack it right. You get it three quarters full. On a hot day, 30, 35 degrees, and you get in the back of this freaking thing, and, and I've got to jump up and down on it because he doesn't want me taking it up there not full enough, so I've got to get in, <laughs> jump up and down on it. And the bloody thing was full of Patterson's Curse. Has anyone jumped up on down on you know, Patterson's Curse? It's so itchy. It's like harvesting a barley crop. And so I, I jump in there, jump up and down, get covered in sweat, then I jump back into the furnace, which was our tractor, because mm. it was a cabin with no air conditioner and no fan most of the time. So I sit in there in the furnace, and uh, and away I go. And I did this for years, carting this bloody stuff to the top of the hill, and I'm thinking, I've got no idea why I'm doing this, but anyway, I love it. I love being on the tractor, so I just do it, you know, and I, I did that, yeah, for years and years, and then... I guess um, finances probably started to get tight, and well, they were probably always tight, but they were particularly getting tight by the time I was around about, oh, I guess I was 19 or 20, somewhere thereabouts, and we had a lot of horses on our place because it was a thoroughbred stud. PA was busy with the, with the landscape stuff and the, and the horse business sort of got, you know, put tilted to one side a little bit. And that was our core business. I mean, that was our income. So you had a lot of horses there too, didn't you? We did, yeah. Yeah, we had, a, we had hundreds of horses. Yeah, hundreds. And they just kept growing every year. More horses were bred and, and then they weren't sold and so forth. So 
And we're not we're not talking about sort of like not nice little yards, and they all get a little ration in the morning and get a rub down at night. No, no, no. We're talking about hundreds of horses thundering around out in the paddock when when it came, you know, horsework day or whatever. It was just like a brumby stampede coming to the <laughs> coming to the yards. It wasn't too much low stress stock handling going on in those days. <laughs> I can assure you, the brumbies just ran to the ran to the paddock at uh, whatever pace they chose to go and. And then um, we did whatever we did with them. Yeah, so in all of that time, um, you know, they were really difficult times. I, I look back and I think, my God, they were, they were very hard times because um, PA was doing what he was doing and he, he was doing the best he could to bring in the finances, but he was focusing on the wrong area. He was focusing on the landscape to try and – or the, his information to bring in the finances, but – you know, when you're trying to force somebody to understand, as in, you know, politicians, bureaucrats or, or business people, farmers, that this is the way we have to go, the more you force people, the more they tend to back away. Push back. Yeah. And so that was a real problem. And so rather than dealing with the whether he should have been working, which was the horses to make money, he was working there. So in the meantime, bills are stacking up and mum's left. I, I still remember, like, the really hard times were when, you know, the sheriff would be coming down the road to take something, take something else. And that was, yeah, that, that was, oh, I've got to so many stories. But, um, yeah. Tell us one. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I would I would be out in the tractor or doing something and I knew what the sheriff's car looked like. I could see it for kilometres down the road. I'd see it coming across and I'd just go, oh, shit, here we go. And um, so I'd have to go back. PA wouldn't always be there um, when that happened and he'd come and, yeah, we just have to work our way through it. I know one time he came and took – came to take the TV and the and the video or something. I thought, God, how desperate are you to take that? I mean, it's really not very much. And then another time they came to take the tractor and, and they took mum's, mum's vehicle. And Anyway, we what we would do while PA was away – I don't know if he knows now – He'll know in a minute. Um, <laughs> we would, um, my sisters and I would um, would round up horses while he was away, and we'd send a load to the dogger to get some money. And um, like we had stallions out, and or he had stallions out in the paddock that were 15, 16 years of age that had you know, never never been on the track, never even been broken in. And we'd we'd round up these bloody brumbies and and. Um, cash them in just to get some money for food and, and keep the place ticking along. So, yeah, that first probably happened when I was about 19, I reckon. So we'd have to wait till he goes. Then he'd come back and he'd be roaring. I remember one time Megan, my wife, um, who we, we weren't married at this stage, her first introduction to, to PA was pretty much him yelling. Uh, we lived in a massive house and he was yelling at me in the kitchen and she could hear from the other end of the house in there in our bedroom, my bedroom, and, um, yeah, that was an eye-opener for her. So, yeah, anyway, they, they were some welcome, of the, Welcome to Tarwin Park. Welcome to Tarwin Park, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. When Megan was the – she was put on as the as the second teacher at the Bylong School, and um, <laughs> when she got the job, she had to look for somewhere to stay. So for whatever reason, she rang Peter Andrews. And so she, she rings Peter Andrews and says um, – yeah, I'm coming as the second teacher. This is softly little spoken. <laughs> I'm I'm, uh, I'm coming as the second teacher at, at um, 
the Bylon School, and I was looking whether wondering whether you had a place that I could rent to stay. I guess someone referred her on, mm. and he said, "Can you ride a horse?" <laughs> I need a track work ride. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how? And then so he said, "Right." She said, "Yes." No, she, no. no. She said, "No, no, no." Oh, I don't know whether she said no or she just went somewhere else and tried for for a different deal. Anyway, she ended up down the road. But anyway, that that was it's just funny things. That's what PA used to do. <laughs> he, he used to bring anybody home. I remember he picked some guy up off the side of the road one time, brought him back. And his vehicle towed him back because he's broken down. <laughs> this guy was mildly psychotic, I can assure you, not PA, the other fella. Mm. And uh, we found out later that the vehicle was stolen. This guy had lived, he stayed there for probably a year and we were terrified. I, I was I was in fear of my life a lot of the time, this fella there. He was a nice enough bloke, but he was, yeah, I think he was, he, he may have been schizophrenic. I suspect he had some sort of mental condition mm. and and a little bit frightening to be around. But, I mean, he didn't harm anybody in the end. But, um, yeah, there were frightening times for us being young, growing up with that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was that was some of the, the growing, growing up I had with PA. So having to, um, having to, I guess in some ways we were having to manage the business, although we didn't know what we were doing. Um, I, I tend to think it was helpful, you know, for PA in, in that time. But, you know, it was also... Um, it was challenging for him too. I mean, he, he loved his horses. Like you wouldn't believe he loved the horses, probably even more than the landscape. But that's quite a. Um, I guess it's a decision or a choice, or you know, what's your priority? Is it the horses you love that are in the landscape, or is it saving the landscape? And you know, did he see were the horses um, contributing positively or negatively to the the landscape? No, he would he would argue positively. Yeah, not not necessarily positively for the landscape but they were positive for his learning of the landscape. So he used the horses. He always said, oh, they're my, you know, they're my trial because um, if you can have a horse, which is something that's very sensitive to the landscape, very, you know, very sensitive to the environment it grows up in, if you can have a horse reared with all of that, all of the diversity and so forth in a landscape that's functioning well, the horse will perform well. And so, you know, we had all of that, you know. We had these horses that were that were beautiful bone, beautiful structured animals, powerful animals, but just not enough of them got out on the track to to be able to prove his point. That's where it had to prove the point. Mm. My argument all the time with him was that, unfortunately, for the majority of people in the country, or at least for farmers who are the guys that that really need this information, racehorses don't mean anything to them. You know, cattle or sheep mean something to them, but not horses, and so. I don't know. I don't know whether he could get that because it made complete sense to him because horses were so sensitive. Mm. Where cattle and sheep can live in a degraded landscape doesn't seem to worry them, you know, too yeah. much. Where the horses were very sensitive, and um, so the average person probably couldn't understand it from his point of view, and I don't think he could understand it from their point of view that that it didn't make sense. You know, dollars and cents, productivity. How many cattle can I run? How many sheep can I run? Not how many horses I can run, yeah. or how healthy they are. So, you know, that made it difficult too and, you know, I would always say to him, let's just run cattle, let's run some cattle here and, and this will help prove it. So there were no cattle? No cattle or horses? Oh, yeah, had, we had some cattle. We had some Hereford cattle but they were like second-rate second, second rate citizens <laughs> on the property. Uh, he doesn't really like cattle that much but he's dinking things, he says. <laughs> Shit everywhere. And no sheep. Yeah. 
No sheep. No, no. Well, only, no, only killers. The yeah. odd killers there, but not, no, we didn't run sheep. No. Yeah, he's not, not a passionate um, cattle person. <laughs> still, <laughs> still not today. Yeah. He would still have his horses over cattle any day of the week. They're a lot smarter horses than, than cattle. And um, yeah, so anyway, that's your, everyone has a choice, don't they? Some people like sheep, some people like cattle, some people mm. like goats. You know, mm. everyone's, everyone's different. Yeah, so, um, so growing up through all of that, it's, um, it teaches you a lot. I didn't know that it was a lesson at the time. I just thought it was a nightmare. Um, but it, you know, it teaches you a lot. And what were you, what, what were some of the things you can, can reflect on now as as learnings? You know, life, farming. Oh, look, all, all of that stuff, like dealing with the, the sheriff coming to take stuff. I, mm. It probably set me up in a, in some ways, in a negative. It probably set me back a little bit um, because it 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 put a great fear in me of taking risks. You know, because I could see you know, how many risks PA had taken and where it got us. And so I became very risk-averse. I, I just couldn't do it, you know, and, and it's still today. I can't do it. I just I can't take the risks. They're minor risks, but I can't take them. All I think about are the downsides. The consequences. The consequences. The, or the bad consequences. Everything, yeah. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm always thinking about what what are, what are they going to be, the consequences of this, and it, and it quite often inhibits me making a decision and, you know, with our little farm we're running up in Queensland now, you know, Hamish is 22 and Lockie's 18. I said, it's yours. Do it because they're only going to learn by by taking those risks, you know. They've had a good grounding and they're very good boys, very, 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 um, very capable, but they need to take those risks and they don't need me hanging around preventing them from experimenting and doing the things that they need to do. So, um, yeah, anyway, that was a... That made it difficult um, running the farm as it ended up being in the future when, you know, when the, well, when it made it hard to make the risk, you know, so take the risks. But at the same time, it probably gave us um, a good footing too Mm. at the same time. So anyway, um, PA um, eventually in, I think it was uh, 1994, um, that's when everything went to the, Went to the wall and, and the bank came in and and ousted us out of the property and anyway PA was in the process of trying to get a research and development project up to validate the work that he was doing and uh, he hadn't got it up prior to that and and the bank came in and and we got tossed off anyway he's a stubborn old bugger and he won't let anything go anyway he managed to he kept plugging away over the next couple of weeks and he got that R and D project up which got some finances back in and, and got us back on the place. And um, So you were, you were offered, you'd, you'd have to, you were escorted off for something, away for some weeks? Six weeks, yeah, six weeks we were off the farm and um, we weren't even allowed to go back in the front gate, yeah. But the, look, so it was like they turned up, you were gone that day? Yeah, yep. Um, I got a call. I was working on that on the property down the road for, the, for Pam Thompson at the time and um, – and I got a call from Mum. Said you better come back. And I drive back up the road in the old rusty, unregistered Toyota Corolla that I was driving with the doors half hanging off. <laughs> and here's the cop and the sheriff at the front gate. I went, holy shit, this is not good. Mm. Anyway, they weren't obviously weren't interested in arresting me for driving an unregistered vehicle <laughs> on the road old, at the time. Your old Corolla's Royce. Yeah, they they had uh, they had a bigger fish to fry. And yeah, I drive in the front gate. I I guess I pretty much knew mm. what was on the cards. You know, we'd, I'd had a pretty 
a, a pretty long upbringing, you know, in that sort of stuff. So I, I probably wasn't thinking I was going to get chucked off the place. I didn't know. Anyway, that's how it turned out. But, you know, PA and his stubbornness and his, you know, will to see things go, he, he got us back on the place six weeks later. And then an R&D project started. So, but unfortunately, I, I don't think that was ever... It was never set up for PA to be successful, and and for for NSF or it was referred to as NFS, then uh, was never going to to be seen to to come to light. It wasn't about that. It was about investors getting a um, a tax deduction for themselves. They, so it was it was a government fund or grant or you know incentive. Yeah, it was it was but, through the. Um, through the Commonwealth Development Bank, I think it was, or something right. at the time. It was yeah. a, it was what they were offering for businesses to mm-hmm. to help forward other businesses, you know, that needed a leg up. And so, I, from the explanation that I was given, we had two options: either, either, or they had two options. Either they um, they saw the information as worthwhile and they had to take it through to something that was marketable, or they proved the person to be another, and so they chose the latter. And um, yeah, and, and so PA and all his work, even though he'd proven everything, he'd proven everything, but it was you know everything was against him. Big business was against him, and and that was a that was a big hit for him. Um, so that what whatever over what period you got back to the farm, R and D comes through. Um, how what is it a year? Is it two? Two years. Two yeah, years. it was a two year project. Yeah, so I knew it was, you know, there was going to be an end period, and and what I said to him. I said, well, let's just spend that time getting this horse business up. Let's start selling these darn horses so that at the end of this, if it goes nowhere, You've got a, we've got a footing. Yeah. You know, that just seemed logical to me to do that. But, you know, he, I guess he was just – he could see that this information was so important and it was worth far more than, than any of these horses, like worth more to the landscape and to people. Not in dollar terms. I mean, it was just it, – it, Nothing's about for him is about dollars. You know, it's not about dollars and cents. It's about what do we need to do to survive? What what do we need this landscape to do so humanity can survive? That's what's important to him. And um, and so you know, you know, he he ignored what we should do with the horses and proceeded. And of course, everything happened exactly how um, how we thought it would happen, or how I was instructed that it would happen. You know, these guys would would prove him. To be not correct and uh, walk away with their with their tax benefits and and we we end up with nothing. So and not having to sort of get the information doing with it is like easier just to go. I got the benefit. Yep, this bloke's a nut job. We're out. We're out of here. Mm. Too bad. And you know Andrew's family. It's bad luck. They don't care. Yeah. So what what, what happened then? Well, I think it was about another. We lasted for about another two years, and and you know obviously bills weren't getting paid again and so forth. So. Um, yeah, we managed. He managed to hang on for another couple of years, and then we were back in the same situation again. Banks were knocking on the door, and um, that was in nineteen. It was nineteen ninety eight, I think that happened. Who uh, who had that information? Like, so the, the research research was done, and the, and the results were what they were. Hmm. Did that go to someone else and go look to you know? Even though these blokes have hooked off and with their tax benefits, there's still some valuable information. Here. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that, that information, PA, he, he has that, has all that information, but, I mean, they had all that information at the time. You know, he had, the, he had government departments come up and look at the place, CSIRO, they came up and had a look at it. And, you know, there were, there were positives and negatives 
all the way through it, but not enough to throw it out the window. Mm. But anyway. But maybe not enough to then do a secondary, you know, research or somewhere else. And no, see well, I, I think there else. may well have been a bit of fudging going on. Look, I wasn't involved in that part. Mm. I was too busy involved in, in, um, in doing work on the property mm. and, and, you know, digging pesometers and all this sort of stuff for the, the uh, project that we were running. And, um, yeah, anyway, he um, we, we ended up back in the situ- same situation again where the bank was knocking on the door, or banks, because we had, had two banks then. That's how they got the funding through with the R&D. And by this stage, what am I? I'm um, 20, 28. And, um, you know, I, I, I just knew somehow. I just knew we had to do something. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't sit by and do nothing this time. So uh, I knew that we were that one, two of our properties. We had four properties at the time, um, only amounting to about twenty four hundred acres. But two of the properties were were going to be up for, for taking first. So I went and took it on my off my own bats, and I went over, made an appointment to go and see PIBA, the Primary Industry Bank of Australia, at the time. And um, I mean, I knew nothing about what I was doing, but. Anyway, I'd made a plan, got all the finances together as to how I thought I was going to make this thing work, and um, I went over to when I made an appointment, went over and saw those guys, and and you know gave across my information, did all that stuff, and uh, and an old mate that was there who was a lovely bloke, he just said to me, "Oh, um, I'm sorry, but you don't fit our criteria," and um, well, I just. Thought my whole world just fell apart because I thought I had this good plan, everything was going to be right. That was to manage those couple of properties. Was to take them over, take yeah. them over, yeah. yeah, take over the debt, and um, yeah, and because all I could see was that information. I didn't understand enough about it, but I knew the information that was there was was worthwhile saving, and it was our property, it was our home farm, and I, I just felt this compelling need that I had to try and save it, and. Um, yeah, so did I he know who you were? Did he, did he know the history? N- no, this no. Was, well, not unless he did his research, but I doubt it. You think it was it was it was a pretty objective assessment then? Yeah, no, I think he he yeah. just looked at the figures and went, no, you were too you're too high risk. Sure, yeah, which is fair enough. I mean, I didn't didn't hold that against him. I mean, mm. they have their criteria they have to work by. Mm. But the the good thing about about that guy, Peter, I just can't remember his last name, but he has a you know I hold him in high regard because he he was helpful, although he destroyed me initially, he was helpful because he referred us on to another guy, private financier in Dubbo, Peter Morrigan, and um, he said, do you mind if I give him a call for you? He might be able to help you. And uh, I said, oh, I don't care who you ring right now. Anyone will do. <laughs> and um, so he did. He rang him and, and Peter Morrigan said, yeah, I'll see him. You know, sent him around. So I, I trundled on round to his office and I and I saw him and I took him my, my uh, plan, which was now – Sullied, I guess, somewhat, mm. but I took it into him and and just to see this is the universe. Just he, he just by chance, he used to manage the state bank in Mudgee and Dad was his one of his clients. So he knew the property. He also knew PA and probably some of the difficulties we've been through, which may have been positive, may have been negative, I don't know. But either way, he said, yeah, look, I, can, I think I can help you. No problem. Mm. I reckon we can do it. And I think that they were looking at um, – Eight percent was going to be our was going to be our interest rate, which seemed you know I could make that work. People were at six or something at the time, but they were at eight. And for the guys that for what PA went through, I mean, he went through interest rates of nineteen twenty yeah. odd percent. You know, yeah. much harder. So it all looked pretty bloody good then. But um, anyhow, so we did all of that, 
and uh, and he said, yeah, we can do it. So I went home very nervous, well, sort of partially excited but then nervous because I had now approached PA. And, um, you know, I went to him and he's went, no, not interested. I'll get it. Not interested in you sort no. of taking over the management? No, no interest. Was that was it like a legal, you know, it's got to be in my name now or more I'm just going to make decisions on that land? No, no, it had to be handed over. Yeah, I, I mean, guess if you'd have taken on the debt, then yeah, it, could, uh, yeah, it had right, to okay. be had to be transferred over, and um, yeah, he just said no, no, I'll get, it. I'll get it. He said I'll get it sorted, and of course he couldn't because, you know, having already defaulted several years earlier, you got that record. Then mm. now, you know, the only way you really get that finance through is someone just going to screw you. You know, they're not doing it for any of the right reasons. Not there to help you out. You'll get hammered with your. Um, interest rates or mm. or whatever, whatever the terms whatever are, the conditions are, yeah. yeah, whatever the conditions are, are going to make it pretty difficult. So, but you know, all of that stuff, you know, all of those early years had brought me to that. So the early years toughened me, mm. and now, now I'm standing against my dad because he's the one thing between what I knew we had to do, and um, and what he wanted to do, and. And I knew he was never going to get the finance to be able to take it, and we were going to lose the property. But the one oh, that was the other thing too. The, the guy at Peba he said to me, "My advice to you would be to let the other two places go and save your home farm, which was Tarwan Park and Iron Tank. That was where most of the PA's work had been done. The other the other ones he'd done work on, but not as significantly as, as Tarwan Park and Iron Tank." And I thought, "Well, that sounds like good enough advice to me." He just said, "You won't be able to you won't be able to manage the debt and mm-hmm. all of that." So that was good advice. I took it and said, righto, no worries. So in December that year, those two places were sold. And they were sold for, I think, $20,000 more than he paid for them 15 years earlier. They just sold did a fire sale. Now, you know, I knew that would happen. I just thought, like, that was a disgrace that the, that the, the bank did that. But, I mean, that's what they so did. So the, the bank, it was, it was, yeah, the bank's... Way of okay, well we can sell those off, get the money back, lower yeah. the risk. Yeah, they just sold it for the for the just, debt with Just get it sorted out. Yeah, that's all they did. They were they were they weren't very good at all. Um, anyway. they, they shall remain nameless. Nameless, yes. I haven't mentioned them. No. Yeah, but but I can, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> anyway, so the, the, I better check my. Legal, legal, whatever liability, or I don't even know that is. A bit of a, a bit <laughs> Make sure you don't. You're not vulnerable to the uh, regenerative journey. What's it called? It's called defamation. Defamation, yeah. The regenerative journey no longer being available for people to hear due to a defamation case. <laughs> yes, uh, it's been cancelled indefinitely. Indefinitely, yes. No, I won't put you in that situation. Anyway, the, the, so then we've, we fell to the, to the dead owing on Tarwan Park and Iron Tank and a different bank. And uh, I went back to PA again. Said, "Righto, you know, this is what we can do." And he said, "No, no, we'll. I'll get it sorted." And um, it just about we happened. I happened upon a, a letter that was a finalisation letter for the Tarwan Park one as well. That was going to happen in the March. So I knew time was running short, but there's nothing I could do. PA wasn't. He wasn't prepared to um, to part with it. He was going to keep going. And anyway. Got kicked off again, and um, so he then. I don't remember. I mean, it's so fuzzy then as to what was going on. He um, he ended up agreeing, you know, at the last hour to allow me to 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 go ahead and get the finance. So I go back to the guy at Dubbo, and now the interest rates at ten percent. 
instead of eight. So, you know, that's what can happen, I suppose. You know, they, I mean, it's fair enough. They had private investors. They had to pull their money out of somewhere else. And that – I know that now. I wouldn't have known then, but that comes at a cost to do that. So mm. they had to make it worth their while. So 2% extra on top, bang, just like that. That's life. Anyway, so, um, yeah, we – we then had a mad dash. We were, we were booted off the place. And I had two weeks to try and get all this stuff sorted. All the I drive driving to Dubbo to get paperwork signed, driving to Newcastle to get paperwork signed because I had to deal with the um, stamp duty because of the intergenerational trans. All this stuff mm. I, I just learned about, which I had no idea about. And um, Megan had just given birth to Hamish, so he was uh, uh, a couple of weeks old, I think, at the time. Yeah, three, wow. week, three weeks old. You know all that. Yeah, yeah. So he was just born just before we got kicked off the place. So yeah, we, had, we, were, we were all camped in. My grandmother had a unit in Mudgee, so we were all camped in there, which was pleasant. Not. Um, <laughs> with PA as well. With PA as well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, yeah, challenging time. But anyway, um, we got it across the line mm. and um, – but I had to get PA to agree, which was the next hard thing for him to do, to agree to sign over the horses to us because, you know, that was a key part of, of how I was going to make the payments. Mm. Um, and um, he he reluctantly, but in the end he did agree. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So then by the time I just took him at his word, by the time we got back on the place, I said, I need you to sign this, sign over the horses, you know. So because it had to be done legally. Um. And he said, no. I went, bugger. You know, I'd, I'd already told the financier because we, when we took that on, um, we had an $8,000 bill to pay the financier. I had four. I didn't even have enough money. Well, that's because that's what happened. That's right. Because the – I mean, I don't know why they did it, but the bank, when they, um, when they took over, they put in – I think they are just playing hardball, but they, they – They'd probably be that annoyed by PA and they probably didn't trust me thinking I was the same, you know, the same sort of person as PA, which I'm not. And um, they put in this 24-hour static, static guard, security guards on the place. Cost us 46000 in 12 days. And um, and I'd arranged in my finance. That's just, that's just to keep you from coming back on or something. Well, anybody from coming on, yeah. Yep. And um, and so I'd arranged $50,000 in working capital. So I was left with four. And I owed the financier eight. I just said to him, but just before we got back on, I said, uh, "Listen, Peter, I haven't got the money to to pay your mm. your bill. Um, would it be okay if I sell some horses as soon as I get back on and, and get your money?" He said, "Yeah, no problem." And so you know, we we did that. Got back on. I thought PA because he'd agreed to the horses by this stage. You got back on, and he said, "No." Well, that was a big turning point there then because you know I was. I'd taken a big risk, and uh, you'd given your word to other people. I'd given my word, and my word is my bond. I, you know, nobody will ever say that Stuart Andrews says he's going to do something and then doesn't do it. I just don't do that. You know, it's just not me. I can't do it. You know, I mightn't have much else to offer, but that—that's one thing I can offer is that you know, whatever I say, I'm going to do. I'm going to do, whether it's good or bad. You know, I'll do it. <laughs> I promise I'm going to do something I bad. Promise I don't do anything bad. I'm just a good boy. Anyway, um, so here I was in this situation, and um, so I dare I say it, it was heated between PA and I. But that was a turning point. That was uh, for me anyway. Might not have been for him. I don't know. Might have been. Uh, that was about a point where 
where he knew that, that I'd taken over. It was no longer him riding the horse. I was driving the tractor because I'm not going to ride the horse. Mm. Yeah, so I was I was in charge, and um, yeah, he agreed. It was it it wasn't pretty. Um, we didn't come to blows or anything, but he he gave me a bit of a shove. I gave him a shove back, and that was it. But he knew that if he resisted any more, then the writing was on the wall a third time, fourth time. Oh, I don't know whether he thought about that. He, he was, there's no way I was going to allow that to happen. That, yeah. No, I wasn't going to allow that to happen. I would have done whatever I had to do to save that mm. property and, mm. and save everything because it wasn't just about him and, and all the work he'd done. It was about all of us, you know. All of, I had two sisters. Neither of them were on the property at the time. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so that's what we did. We, um, he eventually agreed. He signed over the horses, which was a very difficult for him because he loved mm. those bloody horses. But and then, you know, I, I said to him at the time, I said, I will do my best to make sure this place stays, you know, as close to NSF uh, so that you can continue to push with your with whatever you want to do to, to show people how the landscape works. I still didn't understand. It still did not understand all of what he, what he understood and, and how important it was at that time. And so, yeah, I... Um, well, you know, I, I did what I had to do and, and we, you know, we sold off horses where we could, but I also gave a commitment that I would, to myself, not to him, uh, to myself, that I would endeavour to try and sell those horses for race horses where I possibly could. And we did. Yeah, my younger sister, Sonia, and her partner um, came back up and uh, from Melbourne. They were working on a, uh, with, for Emirates down there on a horse start and they came back up to help us. Because, I mean, I wasn't a horse person. I could work with the horses, but I couldn't market them or anything. I didn't know enough about that sort of stuff. So so um, she came back and helped us with, with that side of things. And, yeah, we did the best we could. We couldn't get many horses out out to, to be race horses. We probably sold, I don't know, maybe we sold about 50 or 60 for that. But unfortunately, the rest of them pretty much went to the, to the doggers, mm. yeah, which was very sad. I mean, I didn't enjoy doing it. I mean, I... I blame the horses for the for the issues our family had, but it's not fair. It wasn't their fault. Mm. You know, they were just they were just part of it. But that was it was easier to blame them than it was to blame the people. Yeah. So we um yeah, we plugged away and um and we moved through. A couple of years it took to to get all the horse stuff sorted out. You know, I was making the payments I needed to make to the bank and and in the meantime we're building a cattle herd and, and changing yeah, changing the way we operate. And so I guess getting to your original question, where did my journey start? Well, I mean, I never really had a choice whether I was going to be what is now termed as a regenerative farmer. I never had a choice. That was set long before I was born, I reckon. But um, So now we've got three generations. You know, my boys are now following on and, and they're probably going to do a better job than me, I reckon. But, um, you know, so we've got three generations of regenerative farmers. That's all thanks to PA. You know, we wouldn't have had that otherwise. We are really, I guess, a long way in front of a lot of other people, which is positive and it's also negative because I think people find it difficult to then, you know, they find it difficult to approach us and talk to us and whatever, which is you shouldn't. I mean, it's, we're just like everybody else. We're no different. We've just been weirdos for longer than others, that's all. <laughs> you know. Are you looking for more information to assist you on your regenerative journey? 
We've created an online community of supporters with exclusive access to interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions with Charlie and his interviewees, as well as the opportunity to be interviewed on the show yourself. If you would like to be part of this community or would simply like to contribute to the development of the podcast series, please make your way to patreon.com forward slash The Regenerative Journey Podcast. We look forward to you becoming a member of the Regenerative Journey community. Let's get back to this week's episode. My real journey started then. Um, when, you, that, when you sort of took over responsibility yeah, yeah, decisions. That's right, because now I'm running Tarwan Park. I've given a commitment to PA that I am going to make sure that this place mm. is going to remain as close to how he would run it, only making money, um, so that he could show people and showcase the, the information that he had and what, what did he? What confidence did he have in you at that point? Oh, he had a lot of confidence. He said to me, um, "You're going to f this up in two years." <laughs> so his confidence abounded, <laughs> and as a result of that, my confidence <laughs> abounded also. <laughs> but you know, look it, it, once again, it goes back to you know all of that time growing up with within that family. It instills a lot of toughness in there. Mm. So. That was like red rag to a bull. Oh, you reckon I'm going to fail, do you? Well, I'll show you, you know. And so I, I'm sure he didn't. I know. I know he didn't mean at the time. It was all. It was definitely callous. But either way, it it pushed me to make sure that I did better and I did a good job. And and I was true to my word. I, he had access to that place 24 hours a day, and he took it. You know, he mm. he'd turn up with coach loads of people, and you know that was a turning point for him too. I don't know whether he would ever admit it. Or, or whether he's even seen it, but the moment he was relieved of the financial burden, as difficult as that was for him, it changed everything because it made people more receptive. That he was probably easier to talk to. He was still difficult to talk to, but he was probably you know he didn't have the financial burden anymore. Mm. And so yeah, he um, he 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 found it easier to um, I guess to have to get people to come along and. And then, you know, we had the – eventually we had this um, John Anderson, who was the Deputy Prime Minister at the time. He was actually stand-in Prime Minister because John Howard was overseas. He came to Tarwan Park. And I remember it was in February of 2002, it was. I was supposed to go off and do an RCS um, Raising for Profit course. I'd signed in for that. And oh, I was in two minds, should I, shouldn't I? Should I go and do it? These, the, all these things are turning points, you know, but PA's got the Deputy Prime Minister coming. It looks a bit shit if the person <laughs> owning the land isn't even he's there. His, his own son's not even bothering to be there. <clears throat> so I had to cancel my position in the RCS course and um, and stay there, which, oh, look, I don't know if it was worthwhile or not, whether, whether I needed to be there, but it was all, a, you know, you know, people take things, they, they See, you're not there. Maybe they don't even it, notice. It would have been a drama if you hadn't been, I'm sure. Probably, even if it was just for PA, you know, mm. even if it was just for him, it was a drama. So anyway, made those decisions and um, and we stayed. That was a bit of a turning point, I guess, um, for, for him and, you know, for being recognised for all of the information he had. I remember John Anderson there standing on our floodplain in white clover almost to his knees in February, in the middle of a drought. Mm. And he just went, 
what the hell is going on here? <laughs> you know, he he didn't say hell, um, but he said something along those lines, you know, like what here we are standing here in February and shouldn't even have white clover growing now, let alone growing this tall in in um in the middle of a drought. And it was. It was a well, I thought it was a reasonable drought until the next one. Yeah. Mm. And and then the most recent one we had was even worse again. So there you go, there's a there's a cycle there somewhere. You probably should be paying attention to that, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess that drove me even more to understand more about the running of the property or how it functioned. That's how I learned the most. So if you ask where was the – I mean, the whole life was a, was a turning point. Everywhere along was a turning point. But that point was where I could see more of what PA was seeing because I had to do it. I had to see it. I had to teach myself to see it. I mean, he probably had all of the grounding he gave me in the early stages was in my head somewhere, you know, but it was just, it had just been locked away in a vault. And, um, and once I was freed of that in some ways, I suppose, and I started to see the landscape, all of that information that he would have told me over the years all just came out and I could see it. And so I pieced it together. And so then I started pushing ahead. I started completing works that he never finished, you know. I, I, I knew why. You knew what to do. I knew what to do mm. and I started completing it and that, you know, that just pushed Darwin Park, you know, even further ahead. Mm. And, um, yeah, so um, although we were, we were not communicating very well, things were pretty, still pretty tense and that stayed for a long time. You know, he, probably, he still blamed me. He blamed me for taking the place. He said, I... You know, I stole it from him, and um, I probably, maybe in his eyes he, he believed that I don't know, but I just did what I thought I had to do at the time to save it. And um, I think we all played our part. You know, he's done all this great work out there in the landscape, and and we did our best as a family to try and hold his work together and and run a business and run a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we we weren't, you know, we weren't busting any. Pretty great barriers with with our with how we're running the farm, but I think we're doing okay. We're in a trading opera, a trading operation with steers, and and um, yeah, that was pretty financial. It worked. I have a little slight addiction with machinery, um, which, which <laughs> maybe know, had I, I done the, in the last couple of days, <laughs> maybe had I done the RCS course in two thousand and two, <laughs> I might have eliminated my addiction to machinery. But anyway, the <laughs> universe had it beaten there. Well, I'm had, glad they didn't. I'm glad he didn't go. No, that's right. Well, so am I. Not not that you know it would have been a it would have been a great course to do, and mm. I, I still refer people to do that course today. But for me, I probably really didn't need to do it. I'd already been through all that. I, you know, I, I had I had the experience. I didn't need that um, paradigm shift, which most people get when they go to an RCS or do a holistic management course, or or one of ours, or or a, a biodynamics course, whatever it might be. Mm. Anything that's different to the normal. Um, I guess I didn't really need that at the time. So that's why the universe didn't guide me there. Otherwise, I would have been there instead of being at home. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we, we, we ran an okay business. We, we managed to pay our bills and do whatever, but we didn't, you know, we didn't bust any doors down. Mm. But part of that was the, my risk, you know, my aversion to risk, although some people would say the decision I made to take on the property was a massive risk. Totally. Yeah, I didn't see it. Did not even see that as a risk at all. I had absolutely no doubt in my mind that it was going to be, it was going to work. I don't know why. No idea why. I just never even considered it that it would be a failure. Maybe that's why it worked. 
because I didn't consider it was a failure. I hadn't written myself off to start with. I just went, yeah, no, this is going to work. We're going to have some rocky bits in between here, but we're going to make it work, and we mm. did. So, um, and you know, it was only through support of my wife Megan. You know, she was she was fantastic, and still is fantastic. How the hell she puts up with me and and my family, I have no idea. But you know, she's a she like my mum. You know, she's a credit. She's very mm. strong, and, and um, yeah, I'm very thankful. And then, so kicking along through the two thousands. Um, Australian story, two thousand five, five, yeah, and w- there, a lot's happened since then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the Australian story is going to be pretty cold. Yeah, it'll be right. I'll, I'll just see if I can slip it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, iced, iced tea, <laughs> yummer! It's quite. It's actually quite, quite delectable. <laughs> I think this is how you made it, Charlie. Anyway, it was stone cold when you got it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Geez, you're a good teammate. <laughs> I pride myself on my team. Uh, yeah, so the, the Australian story, um, oh, that was the first one produced was produced by Wendy Page and she did a fantastic job. I mean, she just got this. She just got this information. She understood it and and she, she made that program um, show mm. what, it, what it was all about. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, I had to be involved in that. I had to be interviewed and I was, I guess I held back. I wouldn't have said. I didn't say what I, what we've spoken about now about all those bits and pieces. I didn't think it was relevant. You know, mm. it's about PA and the information, and I just went with that. You know, um, I think it's really helpful for people to understand, though. Like I'm always explaining to people about how I am, where I am. I don't care whether they want to hear it or not. They can hear it. If they don't want to hear it, they can walk away. <laughs> I just think that you know, if people are honest about themselves and what they're doing then people can judge you accordingly. And I don't care if people judge me and go, well, you, you are an asshole because you took your dad's place. <laughs> I don't care. They they should have that information. They can make that judgment if they like. I, that doesn't bother me, I'm, mm. you know, but they at least if they've got the the true story. The, the facts are true. The yeah. facts, then, then you know, they can they can make a valued judgment whichever way and, and that, that doesn't bother me. Yeah, anyway, so the Australian story, you know, Wendy Page, she did the first – Two, two or three, can't remember now. Um, they were all double, double episode ones, so mm. they were, you know, they were pretty big episodes. And um, yeah, look, that 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 skyrocketed. PA, I think, you know, that I think from memory, there were two million viewers watched that that night. Mm. And there were no no social media back then, or at least it wasn't very popular. If it was, I didn't know about it, which is not that surprising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that the, the yeah, so I have so many viewers and so many people wrote in. But once again, PA was in was ahead of his time. You know, he, he, there was nothing there to go behind it other than him. It was just him. He was the only one that really understood this stuff, and he hadn't engaged me enough to um, to work with him. We still had all our other differences going on. So um, yeah, that there was nothing nothing behind him, nothing to carry it forward. No training program. Anyway, he he um, had this guy ring him up after that Australian story. He'd had an epiphany and gone, my God, this bloke, this is amazing. If he can actually fix the Murray-Darling system, I want to be involved in that. That's Dwayne Norris. And uh, Dwayne offered to be PA's PA. Mm. <laughs> and uh, game move. 
Game move. <laughs> Game move. But anyway, he did it. Brave man. Brave man. Yeah, fantastic guy, Dwayne. Absolutely fantastic guy. Anyway, he, he stuck by PA for seven years. I think he operated as his PA. During that time, he was the – I mean, he was his organiser. He, he got everything, you know, kept him moving, got his, you know, field days, all that stuff he organised for him because people just wanted him everywhere. You know, they mm. wanted, wanted a bit of him. And they wanted to get a tra- – or Dwayne wanted to get a training program. He could see that this, you know, really needed a training program to, to follow totally. it up. Otherwise people just don't – They don't know what to do. do. What we, yeah. yeah, they don't know what to do. So he's tried, you know, he tried to get funding. He came to me at, at the farm and he said, oh, look, you know, this is what we want to do. I want to get a training program up. Can, you know, would you agree to access to the farm? I said, yeah, of course I will, Dwayne. I, I said all along I'm not going to do anything to inhibit mm. this information getting out and whatever I can do to help then I'll do, no problem. I don't remember what year that was, but it might have been, I don't know, it might have been 2008, 9, 10, somewhere thereabouts, I'm not sure. might have been 8, actually. And um, anyway, he, he so he'd applied for some funding or something, some government funding to help get, to write the um, material for, for the training program. Of course, government weren't, still aren't really that on board with NSF, and so they didn't fund it which is a bit disappointing, disappointing for Dwayne. And um, anyway, not to be to be let down there, he, he left it another year or so and he, and he ran, went again. This time I think it was PA that was probably a little bit difficult. He didn't, you know, I don't know whether he, he didn't value a training program or what. I, I'm not entirely sure he'd have to ask PA about that. But um, either way, Dwayne didn't get it up and so... He told me, I remember having a conversation with him and, and he was going to resign as PA's, PA and he was very upset, very emotional about it. He didn't, he didn't want that to happen and um, but he just couldn't do it anymore. You know, it's just frustrating, I think, not, mm. to, not to be able to get this stuff to move forward and not to get the training program up. Anyway, he didn't resign at that time. It went for a little bit longer. When he did resign, I, I went and saw him. He lived over on the central coast near Megan's parents and we were over there and I rang him and said, listen, I'll, I'll come around and have a cup of tea. And I said, listen, you know, do you want to still get that training program up? And he said, yeah, I do. I said, well, let's just do it. Mm. I said, we've got no money. I've got no freaking idea what I'm doing. I've never taught anyone before in my life. But I've been and done these couple of field days with Gwyn Jones down in Victoria. So, I, you know, I, I, I at least know a little bit about how to explain this. Information. I didn't. I mean, I was daunted. I was. I was, again, shit scared. Mm. Um, but I did it. You know, I stood in front of these people, and and Gwyn, he helped me. You know, at that time, he gave me support, and they were his field days that he shared with me. And um, so yeah, I, I felt whatever. You know, I was ready. I was ready to go. So I didn't know what I was getting myself to sh- into to share that information. Yeah. Well, and then to be, and actually to be able to deliver it. You know, I just I'd talked to people over years, coming to Town Park, showed them around, done all that stuff. So I, you know, I'd had a bit of background, I guess, in explaining it to people. And um, yeah, so I, you know, we we said, yeah, right, oh, let's just do it. So you know, I remember, I remember we sat, we went to to Tarwin Park. Dwayne drove up there, and um, and we arranged for PA to be there. And we're sitting around the kitchen table in TP, and and uh, I said to him, well. Listen, this is Dwayne and I uh, are planning on doing a training program for NSF and um, we'd like you to be involved. 
actual fact, I was a cheeky backer. I said to him, so when we were growing up, he'd say, I'm the captain of the ship. You're the crew. <laughs> and and we go, all oh, right, no worries. Yeah, I don't mind being the crew. I'll do whatever I'm told. So you do as you're told. No worries. <laughs> yeah. So me, being the smart ass that I am, I sat at the table and I said, listen, we're going to do this training program. You got we, we, we want you to be involved, but you've got two choices. You can either be a co-captain or you can be crew. He goes, well, I guess I'll be crew. <laughs> okay, I went. Well, okay. Well, that wasn't the bet. That wasn't exactly where I wanted you to be. I thought you might actually be. You might actually share the the, front, the captain on the, on the bridge. Yeah, on the bridge, ready to take the fire. But no, no, he chose to be crew. <laughs> so he, anyway, we, you know, Dwayne and and Gwyn. So Gwyn, we brought Gwyn into the into join the fray with the training program. And those two guys, they had the they had the the ability, the intelligence, or whatever the capability to write material, which was not mine. You know, mm. I couldn't focus to do that. I can go out and read the landscape. I can tell you anything about it. Mm. But ask me to write something down, no, mm. it's just not me. You know, I hated school. And so those two guys, they they got um, together and they wrote material as best they could. Um, and then, you know, they'd work with me, ask me, you know, what about this, what about that, and, you know, maybe change this, change that. I can do that. I can come in after someone's made a start and go, okay, review review it, but but actually to sit down and start, yeah, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm too bloody lazy, I don't know. You know, I just don't, don't do that part very well. Anyone who's been to our training courses will have seen my drawing ability, <laughs> and I very your di- re- dinosaur, <laughs> my dinosaur. <laughs> I very rarely ever write anything down. So there you go. <laughs> there, everybody has patterns, and that's mine. <laughs> I don't write anything down. Anyway, so with those guys put together the best they best material they could, we started off running a ten day course, which went in two day segments, and um, it was challenging to get people. We get people come to the, to the first two or maybe four days, so they'll do two modules over four days, but no one would come back, mm. you know, and and I – Oh, right. Because it's just, you know, it's too, It's not the information. It's the whole thought of having to come back again and yep. more accommodation and yeah. time away and blah, 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 all of those sorts of things, which I hadn't even considered that, mm. you know, which I do. I, I stop and I think all the time, well, what would it be like if it was me? You know, what would I do? But I didn't do that then. I just thought these people would be blown away and go, oh, shit, yeah, I'm coming back. Yeah, see you I'm another- not missing this. No, I'll come see you another six months. But, of yeah. course, life gets in the way, doesn't it? Everyone gets mm. busy and, and it gets too hard to come back. You, you probably gained enough from the first world. You reckon you got it all, but you didn't. You only got, you know, snippets of it. And um, I remember going with, uh, talking with Graham Rees from KLR Marketing and the Low Stress Stock Handling and, and I was talking to him. We went for a drive out. We were going out to Pooncary to do a low stress stock handling course. And, um, and we, you know, he was trapped in the car with me for nine hours. So we had no choice but to listen to me. <laughs> and, uh, I was telling him about the training program. And he said, you know, talking about the, 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 the platform, how we operate. He said, Oh, well, you know, that's actually proven not to work. I went, yeah. Well, I think we've proven it too. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah. So uh, I said, yeah, well, thanks for that, Graham. That's uh, good information. And and we took that on board. I went back and I spoke to Dwayne about it. And, you know, we, we looked at it and and yeah, we, we changed the, the format. We changed it. I think initially we changed it to a five-day program and the fifth day was a like a farm planning day. Mm. We'd do half a day and, and it would just be about looking at people as planning their farms. 
And, yeah, all of this time, well, not all of this time, but that was in 2012 we, st- we started running our first training program. 2011 or 2010, we started to get a sniff of mining. People were, there were miners hanging around Bylong. Um, expl- wanting to coal. Explore, yeah, wanting to explore for coal and mm. stuff. And so 2011 or maybe then to 2010, we've, in the, in the valley, we had to form a group to, um, to, you know, to make some decisions on what we wanted to do, whether people were against it or for whatever, you know. And um, so we formed the BVPA, and it was a it was just an, an an informative group. It was about you know what information is available that we can deliver to the community, so mm. the community can make a decision. That was really the. It wasn't an anti mining group or anything like that. It was it was there just to deliver information. I don't think, I think people thought we were an anti mining group, but we mm. weren't necessarily. We were we were just a bit. Well, for me anyway, it was just about facts. You know, let's get the facts out there so people can make a decision, including me. You know, I needed to know what the hell was going on. I'd fought like hell to save this property. The last thing I want to do is lose it to, mm. you know, to some sort of bloody coal mine in the area, or or have a coal mine affect our ability to to operate the property. So um, that was all in amongst it as well, uh, as well as starting this training program up. I'm jumping backwards and forwards a bit mm. here, but it's just as, you, as things pop pop into my head. Uh, things pop in and out of my head very regularly and I never really know whether Martha or Martha half the time. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we changed our format and then um, through all the mining stuff we fought fought that for about three years and and then it seemed like the community, were, you know, most people were, were more interested in selling and getting out than they were staying. So... After three or four years of fighting that, um, we made the hard decision that that we would also choose that line. We, you know, I could see that potentially we didn't know what the plans were, but we could see that we might be stuck as an island, surrounded, and surrounded. And look, I saw for me personally, once again, here is another turning point where I make a decision to stay, and I fight for all the right reasons. I fight for the environment. I do all of these things. And then I'm stuck sitting there like an island, you know, and mm. all the people that are jing and on to fight, well, they're off living in their own house, doing their living their own life, and here I've just put my family in the same shithole, you know, that that potentially we started off in, and, mm. and I'm not doing that to my family. There's no way am I going to make a decision that's going to ruin their life, you know. I just I just wasn't going to do that, you know, and so as a family. Um, we decided the best thing would be to, would be to get out, move on, and that was the hardest decision. I mean, to fight for a property like we had, and then to sell it was very disheartening. Um, but anyway, we decided that that was the best thing to do, and in actual fact, it has been the best thing. You know, one thing it it you know we we got paid reasonable money for our property, um, and so financially we were we were reasonably secure um, and that we had the knowledge. PA said to me along, like he, he thought we should sell it from the beginning. He, he, he never thought we should have fought for it at all. He's a realist mm. and, he, and he knows that it, you don't need to have the best property. You can build the best property. You know, with this with information. The tool, I guess with the tools that he yeah. you know, brought to light. And, yeah, yeah, all of those tools and plus all the others, you know, all the all the other tools that you've got that you can put into the mix. But with NSF as a base, you can build a property. 
as long as you were you were prepared to to work at it, you can build a property from anything, and that's the beauty of this stuff. You know, you, you could take the most degraded property and build it into an absolute showpiece, mm. and in a relatively short period of time, very surprisingly short period of time. So we could recreate Tarn Park anyway. Wouldn't matter. Mm. I didn't necessarily. I'm not sure that I was quite as confident as him. But <laughs> what's it doing? What's it now? What, where like? What state is it in? Is it in now? No, they just the, the mine have got a. They've got a manager in land manager in. I, I don't. I've not been on the property, but I've driven past it. It it actually doesn't look too bad. You know, it's it's func- It well, from what I can see from the road, it all seems to be functioning still. Uh, some of the benefits of that whole valley to have been taken over by the mining company is that it's actually had a chance to have a rest, mm. you know, because it was getting flogged. People were, were flogging it left, right and centre and, um, you know, it was growing. Last time I was down there in the last year, it was growing an absolute bucket load of weeds, which is exactly what it needed. What it needed to you do. know, it's just having a – it's having a, <sighs> mm. a breathe-out moment. And so – is that, although if they ever get to mine it, that would be a negative. The rest it's getting in between is a, just an absolute positive for the whole. So, valley. so the so the purchase of that land was to bank, and then potentially there's there's coal under there. Yeah, oh no, they they weren't going to bank. It'd be open that. cut or be under the ground. Like, well, as it turned out, it was open cut within within about 150 meters of our front door. Yeah. So it, it would, there's no way we could have stayed there as it's turned out, but we didn't know that at the time because that, you don't get told that. That's the secret little secret business that only mines mm. keep between themselves and the department. You know, the department know all this stuff, and they don't even let people know, which is a it's a pretty shit setup. Mm. You know, you've got big business and your own government not on the side of the of the land. The land yeah. That's just rubbish. That whole thing is just crap. And you know that's it. go. We'll, we'll reverse back a little bit. We go back to the third Australian story, and that was that's what it, that's what that Australian story was about. It was about um, well, that's what I want it to be about: farming and mining, mm. and how it interferes. Because what was going on at Tarwan Park is going on everywhere. You know, it's not just there. Mm. It's not just in Bylong. It's everywhere. And I just thought there was a massive story and a big opportunity because here you've got this guy, Peter Andrews, has done it this miraculous work in the landscape and now they want to mine it. Mm. It's like how ironic. Mm. You know, here you've got the way to repair a landscape and these guys want to destroy Pretty it. Pretty much remove it. Remove it completely and it's like, oh, God. In on. a reasonably permanent kind of way. Yeah. And then it, and um, I think Dwayne actually contacted Wendy Page from Australian Story and, and said, listen, here's a scenario. What, what are you backing? What did you do another story? And, um, yeah, my, my mind was to, to do the farming versus mining thing, not not one way or the other, just highlighted. Mm. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that I was anti-mining, wasn't that I was pro-farming. It was just let's let's get this information out there mm. so that the the general public know what's going on because at the end of the day they control everything. They mm. control what people they put in power in, um, in federal government or state government, state government's in charge of mining. Um, then they can make a decision. If they don't want it to happen, then they need to vote accordingly. But if they don't know, how can the hell can they make a decision mm. on 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 the voting? Anyway, that whole Australian story got twisted and turned and ended up being, you know, some battle between PA and myself, which is all crap. That's just life. That's just that's just the Andrews family, you know, happy getting along together. Um, you know, that's not wasn't fair. It shouldn't have been about that. But how, how's that? How's that now? 
the PA relationship. Yeah, well, the PA and the SA. The PA and the SA are pretty good now, I'd mm. have to say, and and that was one of the things that I could see. I don't know that PA was looking at it from this angle, but um, I certainly was, was that the removal of Tarwin Park was a sticking point, you know. He lost it. I stole it, apparently. Um, either way, I had a, I had control of it and, and or management of it. He didn't. So removing that, I could see potentially, I didn't know, but potentially creating, a, you know, removing a tension between he and I. I didn't, I'll, I'll slip back again to the training program because after we sat and we had that little chit chat at the table, he turned up at the first training program, never turned up again. You know, I don't know whether he thought, well, this little arsehole actually knows what he's talking about <laughs> or. He's full of shit and I don't want to be involved. I'm not sure which way around it is. You'd have to ask him again. Um, but that he didn't he didn't cooperate with us. And um when we sold the property, we no longer had a farm. I, I actually did a deal with the mining company. This just goes to show you the the lowness of these companies. You know, I did a deal with them at the time that that we would lease the property and live on it for two years post the sale mm. and then we'd have the lease of it for another eight years post that. And the moment we reached the end of our lease where we lived there, they nullified the lease for our eight years. So they're just lying bastards, you know. Mm. And that was one person who I obviously can't, I'm not going to mention, but it was one person involved in that company that made that decision and, you know, I thought that was a you know that was a deal I could live with because <laughs> stupidly I had suggested to them stupidly on their part I had suggested to them that if they utilize this information this technology over all the land they had bought mm. that land apart from the area where they mined uh, that area of land could be worth far more like 5 or 10 times the value at the end of the mine life than what it would have been mm. if they had just continued farming it like normal mm. and this moron, um, all he could see was the dollars, you know, and all he wanted to get up was a mine, you know. And um, I think if the company had have known, because they were a Korean company, I think had they have known, they might have made different decisions. Mm. But this bloke was an Australian bloke and he was just a greedy pig mm. and, and he didn't care. He was just about steamrolling. Well, mm. He seems to have got a bit of his up up, up and coming now yeah. because, um, because they haven't had any approvals, so they're They've spent seven hundred and fifty million or something on, and got nothing so far. So, so that that landscape's now is growing weeds. It's having a break. Not much going on. Yeah, well. yeah. So it's 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 building. I I don't know what what's going to happen going forward. Mm. Um, for me, I, I I reckon if anything should happen, any justice should happen is that that um, the Tarwin Park and Iron Tank should should end up in a in a. Like a- like an a trust mm. that's held by 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 the public, mm. and it becomes a training institute for NSF and whatever other things could be added onto it. You know, story's um, not over yet, is it? It's not over by a long shot. I mean, mm. we have the option to go back to repurchase it, um, but I have a feeling that it starts a lot of those old wounds again. And as much as I look, I love that place. I'm still drawn back there. I could I could go back there tomorrow, move straight in. Mm. And hook back in again. I just my gut tells me that I I don't think that's the journey I should be on. I don't think that place should be in Andrew's ownership. We should be certainly running training courses mm. there and teaching people how it all works. 
But I think it should be more of a public asset rather than than a private asset, and then it's secured too. Because I mean, I, I could go into it and have all the right intentions, but who knows what happens if my boys, you know, when down the track when they've got it or their family, and then it puts it at jeopardy again. Where if it's tied up in some sort of as some sort of in, institute run by a well. Boards I've seen don't operate too well, but there might be a better structure than that, uh, where you can run it, and uh, and that you know that can be a benefit to to um, all of humanity for mm. forever and a day. And uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean that that story, as you say, that story is not over yet. So, so tell me what the, the so now your your upper. Um, uh, sun, well, your Sunshine Coast, Kaibong, for, yeah, Kaibong, yeah. Forage Kaibong Farms, just, yep, Forage Farms is the farm we've, we've set up up there. Um, we started that prior to leaving Tarwan Park. Actually, um, I always, in all the time running this training course, I get farmers say, you know, they'd say to me, "So you want me to run a heap of weeds on my place?" I said, "Yeah, I do," and they'd say, "Well, how the hell am I going to make a living if it's all weeds?" I said, well, well, I mean, it'd only be like that for a couple of years. It, it's okay. And I thought about it. I thought, well, I mean, that's pretty bloody valid, isn't it? Not everybody's a psycho like me that could just, <laughs> you know, shut down and, and wait for the plants to rebuild it. Mm. You know, they, there's very valid concerns and everybody mm. has different financial responsibilities and so not everybody feels comfortable to do things like that, you know. It's a big step to do that. And I went, right, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Right, I've got to come up with a solution. What what can I do? What are we going to do? How do we run a landscape while it's got plants that are trying to build it? What do we do? Mm. Okay, so if we've got primary colonising plants, there must be primary colonising animals that balance that out. So I went, yeah, chickens and pigs. And so I look up Joel Salatin, and this guy is a lunatic like Pia. <laughs> But it both, you know, in a good he way. He calls himself a lunatic farmer. He does, yeah. He does call himself a lunatic farmer. But he is, he's just magic, you know. He's got, he's got this way of farming where you can work together and, and, and make a good return. I thought, well, of course, that's what should fit into here. That's how we should operate. So that's what we need to do. But I didn't have the skills. I mean, I had 10 chickens. <laughs> I had pigs when I was a kid, I, or Dad had pigs, when, and I was given the responsibility of looking after them. Poor bastards would be lucky if they survived. <laughs> you know, I was terrible at looking after these pigs. So here I am making a decision to go and operate with two species of animals which I had no idea about. So I thought, well, m- you know, maybe rather than do that, I should get somebody in that actually knows more about it and probably a little bit younger and, you know, a bit more enthused than me maybe. After all the stuff I'd been through, I wasn't really lining myself up to do that. Mm. So I found the right person, you know. I found this guy who was who was perfect, you know. He he was driven. He had all the all the good. He didn't understand NSF that well, but he on that part of it, they were, he was already running a property with chickens, and um, so I thought, yeah, he was perfect. So I, you know, I said to him, listen, w- w- you know, would you be interested if um, in running a place like that? And um, he said, oh, I'll think about it. And um, he was he was living at um, near Gladstone, Calliope, and um, and his family. He had a property a house at Mullaney, and his wife and kids were going to move down there, and so they were going to be apart. And so I could see it as a pretty good mix. I said, well, if, you know, if we buy a place up there, 
you can run it. You'll be close to your family because it's not going to work. You, you know, he was fly, he was fly, flying his little plane backwards and forwards every weekend to see his family, and I mean, I, I don't know whether he could see it, but I could see that that won't work. Mm. You know, something's got to give. Either it's his job or his family, and neither is beneficial. But anyway, he sat on it for a year. He he, he kept plugging away for another year, and he came back to me and he said, he rang me. He said, "You want to do that?" I said, "I oh, yeah, yeah, I'm damn straight. I haven't changed my mind. I'll mm. still I'll still do it." And so we did. He went and sourced around, found a place, and um, we went up and looked a couple of places, and we chose the one. We purchased it, and um, and there it all started. Um, in the process, he, uh, the people he was working for wanted to sell their uh, chicken operation, so we purchased that, and uh, he moved it all down and started that going. And well, I mean, God, that was another nightmare. You know, we we got down there. We had to get approval from. From the state government to mm. run a chicken and a pig farm, you know, mm. it wasn't intensive at all, but it it falls under the mark of intensive. And so um, we had to get approval from the state, which he he did, and then we had to get approval from from the local council, which he did, and then a small group of people decided they would appeal the decision, mm. and then the crap started. So then here we go, Andrew's all over again. <laughs> you know, so this poor guy is trying to run the farm, set this farm up and deal with this um, uh, backlash. The backlash and what was going on. I think between that and the fact that I'm probably difficult, a little bit difficult to deal with and, um, and that the universe put that play in place and I short-circuited by not doing it myself, you know. And I should never have been. I should never have been standing on the sidelines. I should have been right there at the forefront, you know, doing it because that's part of my learning journey. And um, so anyway, it ended up finishing up. He, he didn't want to stay, and we, um, we as a family, as in Hamish, Lockie, Megan, and myself, had to make a decision. And I said, "Listen, I, I'm not making this decision." And I said to Hamish and Megan, "You make the decision." And they went, "Well, we're not going to give up." Mm-hmm. Like Hamish. He looked like PA. He looked at me like this, <laughs> yeah, almost the, scarily. The, the, the PAIs. The PAIs. And he looked at me, we're not giving up, he said. And so, okay, no problem. We had a week to make a decision. So we just, I, I, I loaded the truck up with furniture, whatever we thought we needed. We loaded the truck, we loaded the ute and the trailer and we headed to Queensland. Mm. We've been there ever since. And you're doing, um, so the, the you've obviously got through the, the dramas with with uh, in, the intensive farming, so chickens, uh, egg and meat. Yep. Pork, sheep, or yep, lamb. lambs, and we've, we run beef cattle, but we haven't been marketing any any beef as such. Mm. Everything that I do, I trial myself. You know, even like even the NSF stuff. You know, mm. I, I didn't. I'm going to jump back again, Charlie. This is just me jumping forward, backwards, and forwards. Even the NSF stuff, I still didn't believe necessarily that PA was right, you know, so I had to test it. So how many years ago did this? Well, when, oh, this was when I took over Tarwan Park, so probably. No, but, yeah, you didn't know then, but, but when you got to Forage Farms up, up there, yes. you were still testing on a no, different no, environment. No, no, I, no I was sold then. No, I yeah. was fully committed. I'm jumping back to, yeah. to when I was at Tarwan mm. Park. I'm just going to jump back then. I'm mm. going to jump back forward again if that's okay. Mm. If people don't haven't already turned off, they probably have. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, you know, I went to, the, did that at, um, at Tarwin. I started leasing a property up the road and I did the reverse to everybody else. I actually tried conventional farming mm. on that property. Mm. And that was, again, that was about testing. Mm. 
is this NSF really as good as we believe it is or is that conventional stuff actually okay because everyone around me was conventional. I thought, mm. well, I've got to trial it for myself. I, I, would, I have to admit that I did a pretty crap job because when you're, when you're not that way focused, um, you know, you're probably going to deliberately sabotage it anyway. Mm. So I, did, I guess I didn't do a great job but it, it showed no path for me down there. You know, and I could see no path for anybody, actually. Anyone who farms like that are on a hiding to nothing. It was a test. Yeah, but it was a test. Mm. Yeah, it was a test for myself. So, yeah, hopped back up to um, to Queensland. Now, I forgot what I was going to say when I was about the testing. But anyway, where were we at? Oh, back at Forage Farms. Oh, and, sorry. And yes, that's right. So everything we're going to do, I test. Mm. So we grew pigs. We slaughtered some. We tried them. That's bloody good. Mm. Okay, that's good enough. I could sell that to Yummy. people. Yeah. yeah, I could sell that to people. Eggs would go out, go without saying. They, they were fantastic. Um, same with the lamb. Bit unsure, you know, the different plants that you produce up there. You're not that far off the coast. Most of the plants that were there were, oh, it was crap actually. The place looked looked fine mm. to the to the average person. To me, it looked dead. You know, it was pretty much one, maybe two species of grass, and that was about it. So we had to set about changing that. That was mm. my key goal. But I didn't think, you know, with all the knowledge I had, I didn't think that that was capable of growing decent, um, you know, running herbivores and, and having a good quality product. I still stand at that. I think that was probably right. But as we've built our diversity over the time, we've been able to introduce the sheep and, and the cattle and we actually processed our first um, heifer mm. only a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Good. Oh god, the meat's good. Yeah, mm. I don't think it's good as it's not as good as the meat that we produced at Bylong. Interestingly enough, when we came down here to do your course, we went to, the, to our property at Rylestone and we pulled Megan pulled out some rump steak. It's been in that freezer for four and a half years. It's in a cryovac <laughs> bag, and I ate that. And went oh good. Oh god, there you go. it's good. You know it. Right. But it, I hope my wife's listening to this because I often do that. Yeah, like, no, 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 it's good enough for the Siberians when they found that ten thousand year old mammoth baby. Yeah, yep. they ate that. I've, I'd have to admit I've never eaten meat that's been frozen for for four and a half mm. years. But I always believe that as long as it's packaged correctly, it should be fine. Mm. I mean, we didn't never used to. It was always just in a in a freezer bag, chucked in there, and it had freezer burn after about two weeks. You know? <laughs> but it, right. you know, in the vacuum packed bags, it lasts pretty right. for a whole lot longer. Yeah. So that was a good test. And um, anyway. Um, so I still think our southern beef is probably better than what we can produce up there in that coastal mm, country, mm. but it's still tender, still got beautiful flavour, and it's all all um, it, you know all plants the animals been eating, mm. no no grain, mm. and so we you know there's a bit of a tussle between Hamish and Megan and I because it's such it's such hard work to be selling selling meat uh, or selling the pork at least lamb seems to roll out the door. We can't keep mm. enough lamb up, but the pork is a little bit harder to sell. So that's been a challenge for everybody. Um, so to then me to go, well, right up, we need to start selling beef now. They go, oh, no way. <laughs> no, not one more No thing. way. I said, well, you know, just sell it in quarters and eighths or halves or whatever and you don't process the animal until it's all sold, you know. Mm. There you go. You've solved that's the it. problem. That's it. You know, but, we, but it was about how do we – you know, I got to make sure that if it doesn't meet my standards, mm. then I'm not selling it to anybody else. And that's like everything I do. If NS if NSF doesn't meet my mm. standard, I'm not going to suggest anybody else do it. And I guess that was that was the journey. You know, mm. I had to get through 
to make sure that, one, the information was right, the outcomes were, were extremely positive, and that if we were going to run a course, it was going to be of value to people because mm. I'm not about taking people's money and wasting their time. You know, I put my heart and soul into these courses. You probably saw that over the last few mm. days. You mm. know, I, I come out of it spent. You know, I've got n- not a cent, not, nothing left to give. It's like a, like you play the rugby match and I was an absolute star on the rugby field. You know, I was <laughs> champion. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I came off of it buggered. Mm. You know, but I was I was no star. I, I was. You gave I, it a hundred. I gave it a hundred percent, and uh, always made first grade, mind you. Very mm. rarely did I ever play second grade. Mm. But I'm not sure the first grade for my dear Mary War is a high standard. But anyway, it was a high standard for me. Mm. Um, but always giving it your best. So I do the same with the training program. I give it one hundred percent. Well, can I say that the last four? I'm just conscious of the time too. Um. The last four days have been, as I've started this, this, this interview, was been life changing insofar as, excuse me, um, the the way I'm looking at the landscape now, you know, and we and I, we haven't actually got into in the interview the the practice or I guess the I mean we, we've touched on it and I hope everyone appreciates it. This is a a, um, a technique, a method, a philosophy around rehydrating the landscape about you know capturing that water water that's falling naturally. Um, in 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 a way that is is makes it much more useful. You know that's the way I'm looking at our landscape now. I can see the potential. I can see a, an added sort of value or an added um, uh, um, you know reason to be really happy about having weeds around. You know that it is that diversity, and I, I've got no intention of trying to work out a way to remove weeds. My appreciation of annual grasses is improved because they're they're good for feed and they've got their role to play. And a lot of them are those, you know, quick growing solar panels, highly nutritious, highly nutritious sort of stuff. So um, I'm just so and and as a bit of a plug, you know, I, I can't tell you I could I couldn't recommend it more highly that any land manager, whether you're managing a bloody national park or a a farm or you know, two acres or two thousand acres. Council. Council absolutely councils. Anywhere yeah. that is managing landscape where rain falls on it. Mm. Which is pretty much everything. Yeah. It is. <laughs> anywhere and, the rain falls. And we have this this drainage paradigm. Mm. Everywhere we go, we're draining our landscapes. Mm. And that's why we are now in the crap. Mm. You know, councils cities, they just spend all their time draining the water away because right. they consider it a negative where the land needs it. it mm. It's got to have it. And, mm. you know, we've probably got away with it till now because being wasteful because it, it's been reasonably regular rainfall, yeah, because mm. there's been dry periods in between. I can tell you things have changed. Mm. Our, our gaps between rain events now are greater. When the rainfall comes, it's in a, it's in a torrent generally. And our landscape is not going to come back from that unless we intervene to assist it in some way, shape or form. And and yeah, my paradigm was this is a lot of um, disturbance, a lot of a lot of a lot of interception, as it were, you know, machinery. Wasn't mm. a big fan, mm. but as you know, your father and you have expressed, you know, we can wait fifty years if we want to get that outcome using animals, livestock disturbance. Well, mate, ne- mate, it might even be more. You'll never 50. ever get it with animals. That's it. It's only yeah. ever the plants that will do anything. Mm. Just. All I can say to everybody is never believe. I, it frustrates me a bit when I hear graziers going, "I'm going to fix everything with my animals." No, you're not. 
Plants mm. built this landscape. Plants will rebuild this landscape. Your animals are mere managers of those plants. That's it. Beginning and end. Mm. The way I look at everything is let's remove us, let's remove our animals. What's going to happen? Guess what? It's going to all rebuild it'll, itself. It'll itself yeah. The only thing undoing everything is us and our animals. Everything else can happen all by itself. Mm. But I'm not sure that everybody's going to head to Mars tomorrow and I certainly don't think we're going to load up our animals and take them with us. So therefore we have to work out how do we make this landscape function Mm. with both us and the animals in it. So, you know, our animals are only tools. They are nothing more. They are of no real benefit to the landscape. It will build by itself. This Australian landscape evolved with no hard-hoofed animals. Not one, no hard-hoofed animals. Therefore, they are a detriment to this landscape's being able to to rebuild itself because it built itself without those animals in the first place and it will only be able to rebuild itself without them again unless we help it. Mm. You know, we have to put these interceptions. And look, the amount of earthworks is so minimal. After about three years, you can't even see it. Mm. You won't even know mm. until you hit it on the mo- hit hit it shooting across the paddock on the motorbike. Go, geez, that Andrews is an asshole. You <laughs> know, now I've just busted my leg because I come off the bike and hit into the contour. Well, you should have been aware of what you're Tell looking at your you. landscape instead of just roaring across the paddock. Mm. Um, Stuart, we're going to wrap it up. Yep, you've got to get to Carcool. I do. Um, I've got to get to Sydney. Um, I am. I trust, interviewing PA on Monday afternoon. That should be good. Mm, I'm looking forward to it. This mm. has been a bit of a primer. I mean, the whole last four days have been a primer. Well, you get, are you going to do that at his place yeah. or here? Yeah. Oh, at his place. No, so that, that, that'll, be, um, that'll be good, actually, because you have to go there with very open eye, mm. open open eyes, though, because he, he has the ability to be able to see the landscape in a micro, mm. and you've got to be able to look at that micro that he's produced there and be able to blueprinted over the top of your place. Mm. That's the best thing you can possibly do. Mm. Yeah. That's the plan. Um, Stuart, it's been wonderful to have you for the four days. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, I'm really excited about getting this one out. It's been fascinating. And, again, on the back of the four days and lining up Peter for a chat on Monday, this is just it's, it's life-changing. So anyone, Natural Seconds Farming, Tarwin Park Training, get on there, book yourself a, a course and um, – yeah, experience the change in your head that I just have in the last few days. Yeah, no, thanks, Charlie. I, well, look, I really appreciate you having us down here. I mean, you're a bit of a mover and shaker, as it would seem, in the in the regenerative space. So, you know, I, I appreciate or we appreciate that that um, yeah, you've brought us on board into there because, um, you know, we, we need that moving and shaking. We really do. So. Well, I, had to, I just had to work it out for myself mm. here on, at Hannah Minow, and, and we will. We're excited. Yeah. Stuart, thank you. Thanks, Charlie. We'll see you again soon, somewhere I trust. You most definitely will. (laughs) Thanks, mate. See ya. Well, I really enjoyed my chat there with um, Stuart Andrews at Hannah Minow on the back of the Natural Seconds Farming uh, course that he he took there, the four-day course, um, a real eye-opener, and um, it was a beautiful thing to have done only not too many days before um, speaking with his father, Peter, who is next week's guest on The Regenerative Journey, Pete Andrews, father of Stuart, um, the founder, the the developer, the the, the godfather of Natural Seconds Farming. Um, we touched on a lot of um, Peter's work in the interview you've just heard, and I was absolutely thrilled and honoured to be able to sit with Peter 
at his farm at uh, Bungonia um, in the southern highlands of New South Wales to chat with him about his life, his perspective and uh, his work, uh, his life's work really uh, with Natural Seconds Farming and um, really enjoyed that chat with Peter and uh, I hope you do too next week on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.